And it's time for the weekly Q&A that we call Splunk Talk. Episode number 40, recorded on a very good Friday, April 22nd, 2011. It's over the hill. This is the 40th episode. It's darn near about an entire year. I got to figure out when that is. But we got some interesting questions back on the docket for today. Splunk Talk, let's get into it. I gotta have more cowbell. I don't know. When I turned 40, I didn't really feel old, but maybe I am. Splunk Talk is 40. It's 40th episode today. Woohoo! Wow. That's, that's amazing. It is amazing. Um, when did we start this? Uh, like the... I think this month last year, I think, or maybe post. first part of May. Yeah. Um, we need to find that out. We need to oh, find out. I think it was, yeah, I think it's June 4th. That's when I have as the first episode over here in the iTunes RSS. So that's interesting. We're getting close to almost an entire year and people are sticking with it. And we dig that. And we got some good feedback from some of the folks like our good friend, Paolo Pione. I didn't yes. say that right. Sorry, Paolo. <laughs> I'm an American. He won't. He won't care because you're saying his name. Paolo Prione. There we go. Yeah, that's an awesome name. Just <laughs> okay. like Johnny Blizzard. Yeah, exactly. This is a clean tag. Uh, so, 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 what, so who's speaking right now? Who's Who speaking you? right now? Uh, Michael Wilde, rocking the mic down here in Austin. I'm called the Splunk Ninja guy, dude, person. And I'm back to cooking ribs. What are you doing? Who's talking on the other end of this Skype line? This is Maverick, and I'm in Dallas, North Dallas area, Texas, and we are rocking the mic here in the Splunk office here in uh, here in Dallas. Awesome. That's just great. Um, okay, let's get into it. Okay. Let's get into it. Although last week was the week of into it, right? Because it was tax week. <laughs> So that was sort of a little, kind of a wimpy little. Wow. Awesome. Wow. Cool. We're back. Let's do some questions and answers. You ready? I'm ready. So, so yeah, our friend Paulo gave us a two-parter question, so we'll both take each one. Let's do it like that. I think that's the best, most fun way to do it. Um, so his first part of his question was, I have some Splunk instances acting as a job server taking care of summary indexing, scheduled alerting, config deployment during its regular operation. So basically everything else except indexing and searching, basically, <laughs> and forwarding. It's not um, doing, oh, okay, so it's not doing indexing. It's just sort of... What is it? It's a. Did you say it's a deployment it's a, server? No, it's like a job. It's just job server, quote unquote. That's kind of what. <laughs> I guess what, a server uh, of jobs, if you will. Server of different jobs, Yeah, um, which you can do, right? Um, he says, "I'm thinking it might be nice if we have it work as a failover for my search head. Can I use search head pooling between search heads and a job server like this? Can you use search head pooling between a search head and a job server?" Uh, you know what I need? I need to get a ticking clock sound effect so I can simulate thinking about this. Okay. Okay. There we go. Now that that it didn't happen. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you totally can. Um, the deal is, so for some of the folks that might uh, be either not upgraded to 4.2 or didn't have a chance to listen to the 4.2 episode or haven't checked it out, there's, there's one of many new features in Splunk 4.2 called search head pooling. 
okay? Mm-hmm. In the past, let's say you had two search heads, you were doing distributed search, and you had users logging into either one of them. You'd have to do some, uh, cr- not really crazy, but some kind of hacky architectural things to make that consistent, meaning the configuration files. When someone saves a search or makes a dashboard, you got to make sure that they end up on the other um on the other search head okay so uh they came up with this idea called search head pooling which you use a cifs or nfs share okay so you mount this share Mm -hmm. on both particular nodes and uh those search heads will will store all their information on that single share which is totally cool and your search head um for in this case your job server it has a copy of splunk so it does perform the function of searching if you took and made it a search head uh or wouldn't really make it a search head you enabled search head pooling yes that would be a way to make your search head process completely redundant so you're you were pretty much logged into let's say search head a all the time doing your work but at the same time on your job server if you ever needed to you could go over and log into that and you should see all the same settings, dashboards, save searches, configurations, just just there. And there's some a little bit more sophisticated stuff that we're going to talk about in the next question. But totally good idea. I'm actually thinking of doing that um, on my demo environment. It's a Windows environment and a Linux environment. My Linux machine is the indexer. My Windows machine is a search head. Sometimes I go over to that Linux machine, though, and do searches. And I'd yeah. really like everything to be there, you know, like my field extractions and stuff like that. So my searches and stuff I save. So yeah, I'm you like, need you, you need to let me check it out when you're done. I want to see how that. I want to see it. Oh, I'll let done. you check it out. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I, know I will. will. I know you will. Okay. <laughs> you right. know, I, I like this whole idea of the you job know, server, blood, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, I like the I like- idea of a job server as well, and and the idea of also I think was he doing deployment server on there as well. Oh, I'm not sure. That wasn't. I don't know. It might have might have been indicated, but I didn't remember that part. I just know that this main. Oh, and config deployment. Okay, so he probably is using that. Oh, and this guy is also doing summary indexing. So summary indexing, schedule alerting, and and config deployment. So yeah, it's really taking care of that. It's not what you're logging into, but he is doing all these separate things on another machine, which is a good idea. It doesn't cost you any more, other than maybe a VM. So. That's a good well, idea. Yeah, and, and, yeah, leveraging the CPU and the RAM and everything for those other things. That's a, and, you know, if the if the in, in installation and deployment is quite large, then you probably will want to split it out like that anyway. But I just I just think that's neat. We I guess we should call it we should just call it that if we're not already calling that job server. Just call it that's what it means. You know. Yeah, I like it. I like it. It's a good role. I mean, there's really no such thing as a search head. There's not a first level object in your Splunk infrastructure that's a search head. Right. Uh, maybe someday there will be where you just designate things, you know, and, and and a server has a role and it takes a a certain set of act, uh, characteristics. But sure, call something a job server, put stuff on it. No one really logs into it. You also might end up, you know, on that job server, you might install the PDF server. If that job server happens to be a Linux machine and you're a licensed customer, there's a PDF server that you can install as well. So, um, yeah. I'd probably and, do that. And it, yeah, exactly. It fits that role exactly. That's pretty cool. Wow. What does that mean? I don't know. I have no idea. No yeah, idea. exactly. But what I do know is I have a question for you. Quid okay. Quo. 
Maverick. Okay. Okay. Say I have two pooled search heads. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Two pooled search heads. There okay. we go. Good job. I have two pooled search heads. <laughs> <laughs> what if a user configures a scheduled alert? This is a freaking good question. What if they can configure a scheduled alert? Is it going to execute on both servers? Because this whole configuration stuff is kind of shared. What if our two servers going to go and try to execute that job? How Splunk going to prevent that? I love the presumptive nature of this. Oh, how are you going to prevent that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, okay, well, I hope we can do that. So what, what do you say about that? All right. So, yeah, so... Um being a developer myself, and if some of you that are listening now are developers will know what I mean by this, but it's sort of like the uh, dining philosophers problem where um, if you have a bunch of philosophers around a table and they're all eating rice and they can only grab a chopstick on the left or the right to eat, and then when they put the chopsticks down on the left and right, they, they, they're thinking mode, they're in the thinking mode. And um, the, the problem is, is how do you prevent all of them from grabbing the left one at the same time and not getting the right one, and they kind of get in a lock. Um, uh, you know, so you you have to have a way of blocking uh, and, and being able to get both chopsticks when you're when you're eating and then be able to put them down and then uh, freely allow the other philosophers next to you to grab them. So it's a, like a semaphore problem, locking problem. Um, and so, yes, yeah, Splunk, uh, the search pool, uh, pooling uh, search heads has that type of mechanism where it writes a, we, you know, the search that head that gets it first writes out a zero byte artifact. Uh, and says pretty much says to the other one or more in the pool, I got I got this. Don't no worry about it. I got this, and I'm taking care of it. And which and um, both both of them will try, correct? Well, yeah, but yeah. the first one that gets there first will write that out, and so so they're checked. They have to pull. They have to like check to make sure that the artifact isn't there first, right? Sure. Yeah, it has See, a schedule, right? You have their schedule and savesearches.com. It says run it every five minutes. Yeah. You know, how do we know when it actually ran? And uh, since you share the same configuration, uh, both servers just sort of know, which is cool. I That, philo- what do you call that? The philosopher's dilemma the, the, or something? The, no, the dining philosopher's dining problem. Dining philosopher's problem. Yeah. It's, if, if you ever, see, I, back whenever I was back in computer science, I had Way to back in it. the day. Yeah, way a long time ago, I had to write my own OS, basically. And you know, that's part of when you write it, when you design an OS and write your own OS, you have to take care of that as far as things were uh, requesting resources of the the system that, that the OS is running on. So that's, Was it, Ma- yeah. was it Mav- Mavos? It was a Mavos, that's oh, right. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> it fit on a floppy disk and all that, right? Yeah, it was a long time ago, computer science engineering. But yeah, but it's just... Uh, you, that's just one of the like your hardcore developers know when you say, "Hey, do you know about the dining philosophers problem?" They'll know, and then they kind of will know that you are probably a lower level kind of an IT guy if you know about that. Typically. Something tells me there's probably like a YouTube video on the dining philosophers problem. I'm gonna have to Google that. Probably. <laughs> I'm at the dining because like as it's, you're explaining it, I'm like, "What are you talking about?" And then I'm sort of going, "Okay, yeah, I get it. Good analogy." It's pretty. It's pretty geeky. I mean, but it's, it was like. Yeah, it's dining philosophers, but not like Greek philosophers. It's more like dining Chinese, Chinese dim sum philosophers right. or yeah, something, right? Yeah, yeah. You picture them with the big hat, and then they got a big Fu Manchu mustache. So when they don't, <laughs> they're not eating, they're stroking their mustache. And ah, then, interesting. And then when they, 
And you just have to make sure that not all of them, What you have to be able to handle the case. Your algorithm in your OS has to be able to handle the case of if they all grab the left them at exactly the same time and then they go to reach for the right one, it's not there and they get into a deadlock situation. How do you prevent deadlock from happening? I like, the, I like the analogy. Me, I'm unable to grab a Fu Manchu because I am <laughs> freshly shaven with my Art of Shaving products last night. So. Oh, okay. I also don't, I really don't have that good amount of growth like like a hairy guy like you are oh <laughs> so i have to shave it otherwise i look like a never mind <laughs> all right stuff coming up stuff coming up um we're going to continually remind you for like the next six months no actually like the next three months um, yeah is users conference that's a big deal so ask your boss if you can come to the users conference because it's cool uh also, email people at Splunk if you think that some of the users' conference sessions, you can email marketing at Splunk.com or info or wild, you can email us, or Splunk Talk at Splunk.com. If you think some of the sessions should be live, I personally do because I'm a video guy. But um, That would be cool. Yeah. When is users' conference? When is that thing coming up? That's like, uh, let's see, that's, that's way off in September. Or August 19th or something like that. It's August 15th through the 17th. How do I know this? Yeah, well, you're at page slash events or something. Splunk.com slash page slash events. Honestly, if I was designing that URL, I probably would have made it slash events, but I'm sure there's SEO reason. Whatever. <laughs> okay. Anyways, I digress, which is the silliest phrase that we've done, come up with in the past like five years. Why are people saying I digress? I don't know. I don't know. It's don't like know. It's from exist. a movie or something. I, uh, maybe maybe a listener can send us right. an answer for that. One. So if August 15th through the 17th in San Francisco, which is a good place to have it because that's where Splunk's headquartered. We can get all the people over and you can sneak you could sneak in the middle of the night to Splunk headquarters and rearrange Eric Swan's desk. That's what <laughs> I would do. <laughs> hey, what happened? We were going to get him on the show, right? Uh, we're still I, I do failed. Uh, uh, oh, come on. We still need to do that. I think well, people- I'll probably do it next week. Um because he is in um, San Francisco, and yeah, okay. really, Wild doesn't shut off his phone. Awesome. Um, he is in San Francisco, and normally when we record this, 11 a.m. CST, it's 9 a.m. I think he's, I think he's all in the office and stuff by then. But you know, I, I maybe we'll push it Should off we, an hour. Yeah, we can push just it. Just give up, him a little bit of time if he has meetings in the morning. Because now that he has an assistant, you never know. So. Uh, Anyways, back to users conference. There's that. That's cool. Forty sessions over two over in five tracks over two days, plus a pre-conference day for Splunk University, which is usually just hands-on training. Most of the time, when you take training in Splunk, you are in a WebEx, which is cool because you actually get to talk to real people. In this case, you're in the same room and you can whisper in each other's ears and say, "What'd she say? I was watching YouTube." Yeah, and then you or I might be in the back uh, as a TA, kind of helping out too, possibly. Um. Perhaps. Yeah, I yeah, definitely. Uh, Splunk Live's coming up everywhere from Pittsburgh to Frankfurt to Zagreb, which is in Croatia. Oh, what do we got? We've got uh, Washington, D.C., Columbus. It's like Splunk Live season. You know, it's spring cleaning. <laughs> it's get out your car washing gear and clean your wheels off. Now yeah. that summer's uh, winter is over in Texas, although it's not in Wisconsin. So it's also Splunk Live season, Cisco Live, Fosse, Black Hat. 
And then, you know, if you're interested in this whole users conference deal and you want to get all in on it, not meaning you want to go to it, of course you got to go to it, but you want to participate, okay? If you have a sweet story, a case study customization or app you want to share, you can sign up for that. There's a call for papers that ends on May 31st. Um, That's about five more weeks, so. Yeah, so um, you might want to, you might consider that. And of course, if you miss the deadline, hey, send it in anyways. Give me a call. We'll figure it out. That's Maverick, by the way. There you go. <laughs> All right. What did we learn this week? You got a couple things because I got two things this week. You go ahead first. All right. I'll go first. So, so, and this may be old news for some of you, but um, I discovered Erex command this week. Um, I, I usually use the Rex command. I pipe to the Rex command to do uh, regular expression extraction, new field extraction. Um, E-Rex, I discovered, um, or I mean, I guess I saw it. I just what never kind of e looked into it. Well, it. It means ex experiment or something or example Rex, I think, example Rex. So oh, what you do is you provide examples of your pattern, like kind of like the field, the uh, interactive field extractor does, mm -hmm. you know, where you put a values. So you just actually do it on the command line, and then you can also provide counter examples too, which means things that it doesn't match, and then it will go through and it'll try to figure out what uh, what the Rex is like, try to reverse engineer it, just like the, um, the interactive one does. It's just that we're doing it at the command line instead, kind of as you go. So it's the same functionality. It's just more you can kind of control it more, and then I think if you don't provide a field for it to put into it. Will Will error out and it shows you the rex that it came up with so you can then use that with a regular rex command so it's kind of neat it's kind of a neat little tool and i used it on a couple things to see if it would just generate it for me um but not having the uh that pop-up uh, interactive field extractor window coming up and doing it through there it, i just could control uh control what it searched on more and everything and i got more accurate results so it was pretty i just thought i would mention it what you, is it how does the thing work does you just give it sort of sample terms and then it Kind yeah, of. just like just yeah, just exactly like the little window in a field interactive field extractor. When the window comes up, it says put some examples, and you put them on a separate line. You just put them comma separated or between double quotes, whatever, within the parameter for Erex, and then you put the field name you want it to put it into over on the left side when it shows up in your extracted field results set, mm -hmm. and then you put counter examples, and then there's a uh, max trainers. You can set a max trainers parameter, which I'm not totally sure what that is. I think it's just how many things you want it to iterate through to try to train it on what what it's looking for, I guess. Oh, but cool. uh, yeah, it's def the defaults for that were fine, and it just gave me, and I was able to like do. It, you know, I was able to like be very precise with my result set that I wanted back first and then mm -hmm. piped to Erex to get exactly the match that I wanted instead of, and have it build it for me and then it just, you know, saves it off or whatever. Um, or I can just keep it in line if I want, but not make it a permanent thing. Yeah, because I mean, I want to make it a permanent thing inside, you know, like when you do it to field extractor, wow, it's so, I it, get it, it, it I writes get it. it in there. I just want to do a quick one and, but I don't know what, I don't want to come, I don't want to bother with coming up with the reg, regex right now. I just want to give it a few values, boom, done, and then save it off. Yeah, it so it's pretty neat, pretty awesome. Let's yeah. say you don't want to be a regex dork like Wild is, but <laughs> um, you want to like get work done a little faster than the click extract yeah. field thing. You can just yeah, sort like, of do that. That's cool. That's very cool. I got to try yeah. that out. Maybe that's something worth demoing and showing to people. You know yeah, what? Po yeah, possibly. Yeah. I have a great idea coming up in a second. That's good. I like it. All right. So what did you learn? Okay. So I learned two things this week. One, um, 
What's the main difference? There are many. Well, they're not many. There's a few. What's the main difference between uh, the free version and the licensed version of Splunk, other than the volume, Maverick? Um, uh, this is a uh, distributed searching is not in the free. That would be not the main difference. What would okay. be considered the oh, main uh, difference? Um, scheduled searching, like alerting. I alerting, alerting, yeah. So yeah. the free version doesn't do alerting. Um, a couple of right. versions ago... Um, we came up with this concept of summary indexing, which is scheduled searches that summarize data, which is good. It's a great way to do MapReduce on a big scale. Right. Well, um, it requires scheduled running searches. And well, often in the past, scheduling a search also was a way to create an alert. But what Splunk had done um, a couple of years ago is they've taken out, they've just disabled the scheduler, which in fact, in fact disabled the alerter. Right. Um, which is an easy way to go. But uh, through some level of feedback, a.k.a. screaming and all of that. <laughs> Kicking and um, screaming, yeah. On, on by many parts. I found out my good friend, John Cervelli, who's the product manager, director of product management in charge of the server side, the really nerdy stuff at Splunk, um, not the pretty UI Ajaxy stuff. He said, the scheduler's back. Why is that awesome? In free... Which means, because sometimes people might have like a small data center and they might want to use an app. And maybe the app, like there are some apps like the Windows app, although that's broken in 4.2. <laughs> uh, the Windows app has summary indexing, which means it needs to run scheduled searches to work properly. The right. free version now allows you to do scheduled searches. Can't do alerts. Okay, no big deal. It's just a part of the license thing. So they decoupled the two things. They decoupled it and made yeah. it so that save searches can run, which is cool. So That's you can then cool. use it for caching or a few other things, which I really like. So I'm happy about that. Second thing, um, I started a new segment or a kind of a show. Um, if you go to youtube.com slash Splunk Ninja or you go to my blog, I think I put it on my blog as well. Um, I'll put it on SplunkNinja.com uh, called Stuff Splunkers Should Know. Okay, and it's just a uh, however long I feel like doing it monologue between me, the camera, and the desktop. So I usually demo whatever the hell it is I'm talking about. And this week's this week number one SSSK talked about the differences in WMI and Perfmon collection, and I learned a bunch of stuff about that. You probably want to check out the video, but the field structure is changed in 4.2 as far as WMI collection. It's not even called WMI anymore. It's called Perfmon. It does oh, have an cool. impact on the performance and the way the Windows app works. And we're trying to get people to fix that. Okay, It's not that hard to fix, but it just needs some work. But it's improved. But it's improved. It's though, improved it because like. now yeah. you have, yeah, now you have basically a, a, there's almost like a schema now. And it's easier if you're looking at the data uh, to figure out what's going on. And there's oh, not a cool. bunch of custom weird fields in there. But there are some changes. If you upgraded, no big deal. Okay. But if you're deploying something for brand new, you may notice a little bit of a difference and the, the Windows app might not work. But I'm going to try to take, I'm going to take that E-Rex thing, I think, Maverick, and maybe do a little thing on stuff Splunkers should know because if, I'm going to try it and see how it works. And if it's cool, then I'll put that on the show. So I'll do that every couple of weeks and it's just something I felt like doing because... 
I don't know. It's just I work yeah, from well, home. That's what happens. You work from home. You have all the time in the world to work. So yeah, the cool. Yeah, again, I just reiterate the things that I love the most is the fact that we have options. You know, with Splunk, and we can do things different ways. And so yeah, and even if the so, the so some things are improved, other things are going to get caught up later. The fact sure. is, you're still you're still not you're still not hosed. You can still make your own reports on the new structures like just as fast right now, and you don't have to wait. That's the best part is you have the option to make your own Windows you know, changes or whatever now. And then later on the windows, Apple catch up or whatever. So that, I'm, I just think that's really neat, you know, sweet. That was a sweet. nice short, sweet episode. Thanks for hanging out with the bros from Splunk talk. We Woo-hoo. appreciate you guys listening to us and, uh, you know, we'll try to get out there to user conference and maybe do a live one there again. We still, I still have not met my, um, goal of, doing live video on this thing but i need to get a new macbook a new ipad i whatever iMac. So, i have something well, yeah. i need a, i need a dedicated computer to do this and uh, i think they're probably going to be coming out with some new iMacs based on the sandy bridge chip so then i'll sport some ducats and <laughs> get the shiz on the rig some, some talents yeah. i'll shuck it anyways talents. uh where do they send email to maverick Splunk talk at splunk.com. And uh, let's take us out, Maverick. Happy Splunking. Have a great week. Have a great week. You know, I got tiger blood, man. <laughs>